You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by our Patreon members. Thank you so much. And if you're not a member, consider joining. Members get extra episodes just for Patreon subscribers and all our episodes ad-free. Membership starts at just $2 a month. Go to patreon.com slash ancienthistoryfangirl for more info. And as always, thanks for listening. recording. Okay, so here we are and it's our first episode of Ancient History Fangirl. And hi Jen. Hi Jenny. So who are we? Who are we? Who are you? Uh, who am I? I'm Jen McMenemy and I'm a massive Ancient History Fangirl. Um, <laughs> and who are you? I'm Jenny Williamson. I'm a freelance copywriter. I write um, historical novels, or at least attempt to, and um, I'm also a giant ancient history fangirl. Yeah, it's guys, it's bad. It's bad, both of us. And I think that the reason we started this podcast is because we're both the kind of people who will fall down these research rabbit holes and just get super interested in something and just feel the need to talk about it to the point where... Our friends are like, can you please shut up now about the Theodosian walls or whatever? Or Mithridates, the poison king. I right. mean, guys, he was a poisoner. He, he right, was. He's sorry. my boyfriend, Mithridates. We'll get to him. It's a little, a little bit, a little bit further on, guys. We're in love. We're gonna um, have poison babies together. <laughs> <laughs> Not as, as as maybe you can tell, neither of us are historians, um, <laughs> but we are storytellers. We uh, have endeavored in all of our recordings and podcasts to get the history as right as possible. These are just some really great stories and some incredible things that we've learned that we wanted to share with you. So, so yeah, so sit I, back, sit back, <laughs> relax, <laughs> have a glass of wine or soda pop or whatever it is you whatever like to imbibe. Your beverage jam is have that because we are going to tell you how to survive a sacking. So we're talking about the Punic Wars here. There were three of them. Rome was at war with Carthage off and on for 118 years, from 264 to 146 BC. At the time, Carthage was a wealthy, powerful empire in North Africa, modern-day Tunisia, and Rome was just getting started. Carthage and Rome were polar opposites. Carthaginians were wealthy merchants who didn't keep a standing army. They hired mercenaries to fight their wars. 
The Romans excelled at land warfare and kept a professional army. The Carthaginians were the masters of the sea, and the Romans barely had a navy. At the beginning of the conflict, the Carthaginians were well-established, and the Romans were the underdog. But the Romans won in the end, destroying the city of Carthage so thoroughly that even in modern times, the Carthaginian solution is military speak for when you don't just defeat your enemy, you raise them to the ground. So this siege occurred at the end of the Third Punic War. At the time, the Second Punic War had wrapped up and Rome had won, but Carthage wasn't completely destroyed. They were still around. They'd lost the last round and they were paying tribute to the Romans under as they had, you know, like a peace treaty and they were obeying the terms of the peace treaty and paying the Romans tribute. Man, that sucks. Yeah, they were doing everything they said they would do. Wasn't good enough, Jenny. Wasn't because the Romans (laughs) just wasn't. The Romans didn't quite trust the Carthaginians not to build themselves back up and start more trouble. A prominent Roman statesman, Cato the Elder, was reputed to end every one of his speeches even on topics that had nothing to do with Carthage, with the phrase Carthago delenda est, or Carthage must be destroyed. And Talk I like, about a grudge match. I love this detail, too. He could be talking about the price of wheat in Tuscany or something, and at the end of this, and Carthage must be destroyed. <laughs> I mean, he he had a slogan and he stuck to it. It's just like, you know, repeat messaging, just to pound it in, and it worked. <laughs> It did, because the Roman Senate worked themselves up to declaring war for the third time, and they sent an army to attack. The Carthaginians thought the Romans could be reasoned with. I mean, (laughs) I mean, come on, after all, they'd done everything they had to to abide the terms of their treaty. They hadn't done anything wrong this time. Um, They sent ambassadors to Rome with authority to make a bargain. Uh, The Senate told them that if the Carthaginians handed over 300 children from their richest and most prominent families as hostages, the Romans would back off. Now, this is actually a really shady bargain because usually when hostages were handed over like this, it involved rules about when and how and under what conditions they would be returned. Um, Because hostages are basically war leverage. You take a hostage to guarantee the other side is going to do what you want. But this time, there was no language about that in the contract. I don't think there was an actual contract. They were just like, give us some kids. And the parents were basically handing their children off to a fate unknown. The Carthaginians did not have any other choice, but the parents among them didn't like it. And they responded the way you'd expect parents to respond. The historian Appian of Alexandria, writing about 100 years later, describes this heartbreaking scene involving the parents. They sent their children into Sicily amid the tears of the parents, the kindred, and especially the mothers, who clung to their little ones with frantic cries and seized hold of the ships and of the officers who were taking them away, even holding the anchors and tearing the ropes, and throwing their arms around the sailors in order to prevent the ships from leaving. Some of them even swam out far into the sea beside the ships, shedding tears and gazing at their children. Some of them tore out their hair on the shore and smote their breasts in the extremity of their grief. It seemed to them that they were giving hostages only nominally, but were really giving up the city when they surrendered their children without any fixed conditions. I mean, that's just so brutal. It's heartbreaking. And I think one of the things that I really love about this passage is it's so, about the story of Carthage in general is that it's so human, you know, because 
um, a lot of the time there's this giant gulf of time between you and ancient people and it feels so alien like the situations that they're in and the things they say and the decisions that they make but then sometimes you just get this little flash of humanity that makes you feel so connected to them and like yeah we would all react to that the same way you know it's just exactly fascinating it's just unfathomable what they went through and how how that you know was the terms of their alleged peace and it gets worse oh no (laughs) so that was the cheery part (laughs) right that was the cheery part (laughs) all right and that wasn't enough for the romans they demanded the carthaginians surrender all their weapons war machines and armor making them defenseless this really put carthage in a tough spot as they had recently condemned their head general in the last Punic War, a guy named Hasdrubal? I think it's Hasdrubal. Okay. Let's go with Hasdrubal. Let's go. We're going to try Hasdrubal to death because he lost. Uh, That had kind of misfired. Hasdrubal skipped town, put an army together, and was at the very moment bearing down on Carthage to exact his own revenge. Oh, don't worry. We'll take care of him. The Roman said, I mean, never trust a Roman. <laughs> Basically not. <laughs> not. Not in antiquity, guys. Uh, and the Carthaginians once again knuckled under and delivered. Uh, this is a quote from Appian. Uh, Complete armor for 200,000 men besides innumerable javelins and darts and 2,000 catapults for throwing pointed missiles and stones. When they came back, it was a remarkable and unparalleled spectacle to behold the vast number of loaded wagons which the enemy themselves brought in. Lucky Land Casino, asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everyone. Stakuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. Hello, everyone. You may recognize me as Gabby from the History of Everything podcast. And my name is Bruna, and you don't recognize me from anything yet. Together, we're two scientists who explore all of the weird little questions and conspiracies of the universe in our new podcast, Mystery of Everything. Everything has an explanation. We hope. But that is what we're here to figure out. We will dive into the science behind many popular conspiracy theories, such as vaccines causing autism, flat earth theory, and was the moon landing fake? And if so, why the heck would anyone even do that? But it's not just conspiracies. There's a lot of cool mysteries that we will attempt to use science to explain, such as near-death experiences, what made the Vikings go berserk, and can I control my co-host with MKUltra? Wait, what? (laughs) Anyway, make sure to check out the Mischief Everything podcast everywhere where you find your podcasts. 
The Carthaginians were now unarmed in the face of their enemies, and that still wasn't enough for the Romans. They demanded one more thing, that the Carthaginians all leave their city so they could raise it to the ground. And this was the absolute last straw. The Carthaginians flipped out. And here's, here's how they reacted. They flung themselves on the ground and beat it with their hands and heads. Some of them even tore their clothes and lacerated their flesh as though they were absolutely bereft of their senses. After the first frenzy was passed, there was a great silence and prostration as of men lying dead. Impassive in the face of this, the Romans explained that they didn't want the Carthaginians to be constantly surrounded by reminders of their past greatness. They'd surely be tempted to try to seize it back by waging war again. They would not be moved. So you can kind of tell how that didn't make the Carthaginians feel better. Yeah, that was kind of a dick move. <laughs> yeah. Now the Carthaginians were in an absolutely desperate situation. Uh, their city was without arms. It was empty of defenders. It had not a ship not a catapult, not a javelin, not a sword, nor a sufficient number of fighting men, having lost 50,000. Because they it, just come off the second Punic War, remembered. So they just fought a war. They just fought a war. They tried to kill the guy who lost. He decided to attack him with an army. Right. I mean, this is getting crazy. It's getting crazy. They had neither mercenaries, nor friends, nor allies, nor time to procure any. Their enemies were in possession of their children, their arms, and their territory. Their city was besieged by foes provided with ships, infantry, cavalry, and engines. Uh, and by engines, they mean siege engines. Yeah, not real engines. I mean, not I guess a siege engine. engine is also a real engine, but... I, I guess it was the original engine. Yeah, like, you know, not car engines or something. No. <laughs> <laughs> it would be kind of cool, time-traveling road. I know. Um, even so, the Carthaginian envoys decided that, rather than surrender, they would go back to their city and tell them the news. Dig in, boys. We're going to fight. So this didn't go over well with the general population of Carthage. When they got back to Carthage and told them about this, all the, you know, like this, is, the envoys to Rome went back to Carthage and they told the general population, hey, you guys, um, we're actually going to fight. Um, people were pacing the walls, waiting for them. Some ran out to meet them, begging for news. The crowd at the gate was so desperate, it almost crushed the envoys. And when the envoys gave the bad news that they hadn't been able to avert an impending war, here's what happened. Then followed a scene of indescribable fury and madness. Some fell upon those senators who advised giving up the children and tore them in pieces. Others treated in a similar way those who had favored giving up the arms. Some stoned the ambassadors for bringing the bad news, and others dragged them through the city. The city was full of wailing and wrath, of fear and threatening. People roamed the streets, invoking what was most dear to them, and took refuge in the temples. They upbraided their gods for not being able to defend themselves. Some went into the arsenals and wept when they found them empty. Others ran to the dockyards and bewailed the ships that had been surrendered. Some called their elephants by name as though they had been present and reviled their own ancestors and themselves for not perishing sword in hand with their country instead of paying tribute and giving up their elephants, their ships, and their arms. Can we just stop for a minute um, and just remind people what the deal is with the elephants? Yeah, so the elephants were used as war animals by the Carthaginians. Most of all was the anger kindled by the mothers of the hostages who, like furies in a tragedy, accosted those whom they met with shrieks and accused them of giving away their children against their protest. A few kept their wits about them, closed the gates, and brought stones upon the walls to be used in place of catapults. And this is another detail that I really love. Just like, here is this, this enormous citywide 
panic happening, people roaming the streets, beating each other up, screaming at each other for making these decisions, tearing their hair, running into the temples and bewailing their gods for getting them into this situation. And amongst all the chaos, there are a few people just going, okay, I guess we need to close the gates. I guess we need to just bring these stones up here and that's what we're going to do. It's, yeah, there there were actually some pragmatists. <laughs> right. It, it's just another it's another one of those really human details. You know, it's just like, which one would I be? Would I be the one freaking out in the street or would I bring the stones up in the walls and be like, OK, I guess this is this is what we're doing right now. I mean, I'd definitely be the one freaking out in the street. I mean, it's kind of just like do the next thing, you know, when your world is falling apart. It's like, OK, I have to do this one thing now. And now you see the difference between your two podcast hosts. <laughs> <laughs> so after that epic citywide freakout, Carthage settled in and prepared for a siege. With no army and no weapons, they had somehow persuaded Hasdrubal, the general they had previously condemned to death, to head up their defense rather than destroying them. Well done, guys. Mm-hmm. And they transformed. They I don't know either. I mean, there might have been a gift basket involved. Uh, there had to have been an epic gift gift basket involved. <laughs> um, and with Hasdrubal, they transformed their entire city into an armory. Quickly, all minds were filled with courage from this transformation. All the sacred places, the temples, and every other unoccupied space were turned into workshops where men and women worked together day and night without pause taking their food by turns on a fixed schedule. Each day they made 100 shields, 300 swords, 1,000 missiles for catapults, 500 darts and javelins, and as many catapults as they could. For strings to bend them, the women cut off their hair for want of other fibers. I mean, that's just incredible. It is, but I have to question the hair. You know, how strong is women's hair? I mean, my hair is pretty strong, Jenny. I don't know about yours. But. I mean, I dye it a lot. Um, but, you know, honestly, like, how long is the hair? How strong is it? Can it really, you know, provide enough tension to fling a giant boulder over a wall like you would have to do with a catapult? I mean, I wonder if anybody's done any actual live arc- like live action archaeology on that. Probably not, but I'm curious. No. I'm curious, too. And I'm also curious, like, how did they weave it with something else to make it really strong? I mean, if you think about it, most ancient women would have had very long hair. Right. I mean, in in theory. Um, So you're talking maybe like two or two feet of hair or more. So that would be quite a lot that you could then weave into some kind of rope or something i don't know yeah so uh, there are a lot of women with very short hair wandering around because they'd given their hair to the war effort essentially for them so as an as is often the case in sieges hunger became a problem the romans did their best to keep food from going into the city although carthage was basically on an isthmus and hard to blockade completely the sea was rough around carthage and the roman fleet couldn't maintain a blockade without gaps so the more daring merchant ships could run the blockades and there was money in that for them because people were desperate however yeah, absolutely yeah the general hasdrubal and i just have to say you know if you have a general and you condemn him to death if he loses like maybe not such a good move carthaginians just fyi but for some reason they must have been really good at gift baskets. That's the only explanation. Oh, my God. Can you imagine what was in that gift basket? <laughs> like a lot of great stuff. Like definitely the good cheese. Oh, yeah. <laughs> some sausage, some summer sausage. <laughs> and the good Cheetos. The good Cheetos. The good Cheetos. Are there good and bad Cheetos? 
I mean, you know, the Cheetos brown ones. Like I'm not the, a fan of the generic ones. Off-brand Cheetos. No off-brand <laughs> Cheetos. <laughs> no off-brand Cheetos in the gift basket. Hasdrubal. <laughs> elephant treats. <laughs> Did he have elephants? Did he have his own elephants? You know, I actually don't know. I didn't see anyone mention elephants, and I'm not sure how useful they'd be in a siege situation. Well, true. Because they'd be in the in the city, and there would be elephant poo, and, I mean, elephants need space. Yeah, and they probably need food, and there isn't any food. Right, and you're kind of close quarters fighting when you're fighting often, you know, invading armies, so I don't know how useful an elephant would be in that situation. Probably just trample your own troops, which is actually a problem with the elephants in general. You could spook them, and then they would run back and trample your troops. Could you imagine if that was your job in the army, to be the head elephant spooker? (laughs) I wouldn't (laughs) want to sign up for that job. That sounds like a really bad job. Um, Anyway, moving on. So I was just talking about how the merchant ships ran the blockades to get food to the starving Carthaginians during the siege. However, the general Hasdrubal who was in charge of the defense of Carthage, only distributed food supplies to the military, not to the general public. So this isn't uncommon in sieges, but the situation here was that the citizens were actually really part of the war effort. So it was a little bit of an unfair division of food distribution. Um, This siege lasted two years, and when the Romans finally broke through the walls, they found every able-bodied citizen armed and prepared to defend their city, including the women and the children. Good for them. Yeah. The Romans were forced to fight street by street and house by house. The Carthaginians were eventually driven to the neighborhood of Bursa, which was built around a fortress on a hill. There were three major streets here lined with houses six stories high, and the citizens retreated to the roofs, raining stones and household implements and roof tiles down on the heads of the Romans from these houses. The Romans had to take each house room by room in order to drive out the defenders. And what followed was a scene of horror, and this is according to Appian. While war was raging in this way on the roofs, another fight was going on among those who met each other in the streets below. All places were filled with groans, shrieks, shouts, and every kind of agony. Some were stabbed. Others were hurled alive from the roofs to the pavement, some of them alighting on the heads of spears or other pointed weapons or swords. No one dared to set fire to the houses on account of those who were still on the roofs until Scipio, the Roman general, reached Bursa. Then he set fire to the three streets altogether and gave orders to keep the passageways clear of burning materials so that the army might move back and forth freely. Then came new scenes of horror. As the fire spread and carried everything down, the soldiers did not wait to destroy the buildings little by little, but all in a heap. So the crashing grew louder, and many corpses fell with the stones into the midst. Others were seen still living, especially old men, women, and young children who had hidden in the inmost nooks of the houses, some of them wounded, some of them more or less burned and uttering piteous cries, still others, thrust out and falling from such a height with the stones, timbers, and fire, were torn asunder in all shapes of horror, crushed and mangled. Nor was this the end of their misery, for the street cleaners, who were removing the rubbish with axes, mattocks, and forks, and making the roads passable, tossed with these instruments the dead and the living together into holes in the ground, dragging them along like sticks and stones, and turning them over with their iron tools. Trenches were filled with men, some who were thrown in head foremost, with their legs sticking out of the ground, writhed a long time. Others fell with their feet downward, and their heads above ground. Horses ran over them, crushing their faces and skulls, not purposely on the part of the riders, but in their headlong haste. 
nor did the street cleaners do these things on purpose, but the tug of war, the glory of approaching victory, the rush of the soldiery, the orders of the officers, the blast of the trumpets, tribunes, and centurions marching their cohorts hither and thither, all together made everybody frantic and heedless of the spectacles under their eyes. The street cleaners! You guys, oh the street clean, that's the worst part of this description. It's just, it just floors me every time I read it because it's just the impersonality of it. Like it's not, at this point, it's not even the soldiers killing each, killing these civilians. They're just sort of, you know, la la la, doing their job, pulling down these buildings, trampling everybody and throwing live bodies into these pits with the dead bodies and trampling them. It's horrible. It's horrible. And it's so, I mean, the entire siege was so hard fought because you've got women and children and they're flinging roof tiles. They're doing anything to survive. And the chaos when it all comes tumbling down is just astonishing. It's, just, it's And like what these people went through to save their city beforehand, you know, like they had yeah. nothing and they put up a two year fight. That's phenomenal. I'm Helena Bonham Carter. And for BBC Radio 4, this is History's Secret Heroes a new series of rarely heard tales from World War II. They had no idea that she was Britain's top female codebreaker. We'll hear of daring risk-takers. What she was offering to do was to ski in over the high Carpathian mountains. Of course it was dangerous, but uh, danger was his friend. Subscribe to History's Secret Heroes wherever you get your podcasts. So how would you survive this sacking? Because of the street-by-street street fighting and the way everyone took up arms, your survival here is a crapshoot. And it doesn't do you much good to hide because of the fires and the room-by-room room nature of the fights. If the soldiers don't get you, the fire most likely will. And if for some reason you aren't burned alive, the Roman soldiers are also pulling down the whole neighborhood around you. So you're dead one way or, the, or another. The best strategy is just do not be in that neighborhood. Most of the worst fighting in the city was centered on the neighborhood of Bursa, and some people must have hit out in areas that weren't seeing as much action. After the city surrendered, the Roman general Scipio accepted a surrender of 50,000 men and women, only 10% of the city's original population of 500,000 before the war started. Most of these people were probably sold into slavery. So some people lived. Actually, like that's kind of a large number of people. That lived, mm. you know, 50,000 people must have been hiding somewhere that there wasn't as much intense fighting. Yeah, but still, that's only 10% of the people. Right. So, but, so there must be some corner of the city that was okay, or maybe there were just some people that got really lucky, you know? Do you know where it was? It was the catacombs. Had to be the catacombs. Oh, that's such a great idea. Like, and, and I was also thinking about this too. I don't think I made a giant note about this, but the sewers, were there sewers in Carthage? To know, we should find out. Yeah, I think this is like we gotta fall down a rabbit hole with that. A sewer rabbit hole. A sewer hole. <laughs> <laughs> a rabbit hole? <laughs> I don't know. Where are we going? Hasdrubal, the Carthaginian general who had been condemned to death by his own people and for some reason had decided to fight for them again, I cannot stop harping on this, was not well treated for his failure this second go round either. He surrendered. I mean- why bother, Hasdrubal? You I know. Just sack the city yourself. Right? Hasdrubal your is going to. <laughs> go to your own Mediterranean island and live like a king. Ooh. Well, the thing, the, thing, <laughs> <laughs> the thing about Hasdrubal is maybe he should have followed his gut the first time when he was actually going to do that. Instead, he let himself be guilted into defending these people one more. I mean, we've all have, we all have people like that in our lives, right? 
where yeah. it's like, all right, I was I was literally done with you and I was going to come and sack you myself. But I guess. All right. Well, you asked nicely. Oh, but you're so pretty. Oh, OK. Somehow Carthage, but Hasdrubal on the hook. Right. Hasdrubal. Like, I want to know how. I know. It's got to be more than the gift, the gift baskets. It must be the gift baskets and the emotional manipulation. Oh, this sounds like an abusive relationship. It does. Hasdrubal. I'm so sorry. Anyway, so here's what happened to this guy. Um, he was not well treated for his failure this second go round either, which, you know, she probably should have expected that. He surrendered to the Romans, upon which his wife lit a fire and threw herself and their two sons into it. It is said that as the fire was lighted, the wife of Hasdrubal, in full view of Scipio, arrayed in the best attire possible under such circumstances, and with her children by her side, said in Scipio's hearing, For you, Roman, the gods have no cause of indignation, since you exercise the right of war. Upon this Hasdrubal, betrayer of his country and her temples, of me and his children, may the gods of Carthage take vengeance, and you be their instrument. Then turning to Hasdrubal, Wretch, she exclaimed, traitor, most effeminate of men, this fire will entomb me and my children. Will you, the leader of great Carthage, decorate a Roman triumph? Ah, what punishment will you not receive from him at whose feet you are now sitting? Having reproached him thus, she slew her children, flung them into the fire, and plunged in after them. Such, as they say, was the death of the wife of Hasdrubal, which would have been more becoming to himself." But the joke was on her because after all this, the Romans actually let Hasdrubal retire in peace somewhere in the Italian countryside. That was Carthage. That was Carthage. That was a crazy siege. <laughs> so, I mean, I think what we're talking about when, we, when we're talking about how to survive a sacking, the ultimate end for most ancient sieges is death for most people. But if you did survive, you would probably be put into slavery. Ancient times were incredibly brutal and your fate was ultimately in the hands of the people who conquered you. Yeah, that's Um, a really good point. Um, A lot of the time the winner decides what happens to you. And if they decide to keep you around and feed you, it's because they're going to sell you into slavery or keep you for a slave. And it's an unfortunate fact about the ancient world that a lot of societies took slaves. The survival is really the beginning of your trouble. You know, you you look at the life of people in ancient cities and one day everything is completely normal and the next day they could be besieged and everything is just on a knife's edge all the time. That's what's interesting about this experience to me and why I wanted to tell these stories was because you could be just sort of living a normal life and you could have a family, not be a particularly important person, but a person in the city who's doing all right. And all of a sudden, if a siege happens... And you are lucky enough to live. A lot of people you know wouldn't live, number one. And number two, you're probably going to be separated from your family if you do live because you'll be you'll be sold into slavery. So you lose everything. You lose your existing relationships as well as your all of your property and your money and everything that you've built up in your life. And I think it also sort of helps frame why... You know, especially when we look at the siege of Carthage, why people fought as aggressively as they did. Because they knew what was on, you know, they knew what was in store if they lost. And it was much better to fight to the last person than the alternative. So that's it for today. We lived through the siege of Carthage by the skin of our teeth. And in two weeks, we'll take a look at two of the grisliest real life sieges in ancient history that we could find, plus one fictional siege that you've probably heard of. I mean, I would hope they'd heard of that one. Most people have heard of it. Yeah, but let's leave them in suspense for two more weeks. Right, let's do that. Um, And you will end that episode with the tools and tactics that will raise your chances of survival. So tune in 
in two weeks for How to Survive a Siege, Part 2, The Reckoning. And it's not called The Reckoning. I know, but, you know, it kind of, could it be? No. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> Thanks for listening. Subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, SoundCloud, or anywhere else you could possibly ever get your podcasts. Check us out at ancienthistoryfangirl.com, and don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram under Ancient History Fangirl. And if you do follow us, let us know what you guess those fictional sieges might be. Ryan here and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino-style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly plus free daily bonuses, so don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW report prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18+. Plus.